0: Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Romans, man, what a blessing it's been to go through this book. So much theology, so much truth found in the book of Romans. It really has been neat to just dive in And just see what the Lord uh, would do as we just refresh our memory or even learn about some of these truths. So, chapter 3, we finished up on Sunday. And as we finished up chapter 3, we we saw that Paul kind of really finished demonstrating uh, the guilt of the entire world before God. We've kind of camped out on that a lot. How Paul really, he left no stone unturned in showing humanity their utter guilt before the Lord, that there's none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and Paul, he he paints this picture of utter despair and darkness. And he brings us face to face with the hopeless reality uh, that, man, we really are all sinners. But then he does a bit of a, a palette change. He puts down the blacks and the grays, and he begins to pick up the the lighter and the brighter colors, and he begins to to paint these brushstrokes of light upon the canvas that he already painted black, and he shares with us this glorious hope that we have in Jesus. He shares with us the hope of salvation, the secret, really, to salvation, and that is what we talked about on Sunday, is justification by faith. He transitions from this place where, man, you are all guilty undeniably to this place of this is what we do about that guilt. This is how we can escape God's wrath because of that guilt. Justification by faith. And as we talked about on Sunday, justification by faith. It's this legal transaction that occurs when the sinner believes upon the work of the cross whereby the righteousness of God is transferred to the believer and his sin is transferred to God. We're cleared of all guilt. More than being just cleared, it's as if we had never sinned at all. That really, in a nutshell, is what justification means. It's as though I have never sinned at all. And on Sunday, we looked at at Paul. He kind of goes through what what is justification. How does justification works? And he argues uh, theologically that justification is by faith and faith alone. That's what we looked at on Sunday. He really lays it out. How how does this justification thing work? Well, it's first of all, apart from the law. That's how he began that section Uh, at the end of chapter three, where he's shifting from the guilt to the answer. That justification, uh, we're justified before the Lord, it's apart from the law. It has nothing to do with us keeping the law, but it's by faith. It's by believing in the finished work of the cross. That Jesus, he is God incarnate. God became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, was buried and three days later rose again. We have faith, we believe that. Justification, it's available to every single human being who is willing to put their faith and believe in the work of the cross. Justification is by grace. It's a gift, we can't earn it. Unmerited, undeserved favor. It was a gift for us But as we talked about on Sunday, it was costly. We we talked about redemption. The cost that was paid to redeem us. God created us. He gave us free will. We chose poorly. We sold ourselves into the bondage of sin and death. And then God redeemed us. He bought us back. He purchased us with a price. And that price was his own life. He took the punishment that we deserve on the cross. Propitiation. Propitiation. He was our propitiation. He was our substitute. That's what it means. Propitiation literally means to satisfy, to satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus satisfied God's wrath towards us by having it poured out upon himself. And so this beautiful thing, justification by faith, that we are justified just as though we've never sinned simply by believing. Not by working, not by obeying, not by being religious enough, but by believing. And Paul closes out chapter 3 by saying, "Well, well, therefore, since we're justified by faith and faith alone, then what do we have to boast about? None of us can brag about how good we are. You might look around and say, well, I'm doing better than them and doing better than them. You might look around and say, man, I'm not doing as good as them. Whatever the case may be, we have no right to brag, except for bragging upon or in Jesus. So Paul says, man, let's be braggers about Jesus. Boy, we're saved by grace. We're saved by the wonderful works of Jesus. But all of this discussing of being saved by grace, that it's a free gift, that it's, it's not by works, it's not by our actions, that it's, that it's apart from the law. So, so does this kind of make the Old Testament irrelevant? You know, Paul, he, he does this now, he has this form of, of teaching where he answers, qu- asks questions and then answers the question. He'll ask a rhetorical question and give the answer. And, and so there's all of these questions. And, and chapter 3 kind of ends with this idea. It, it is Well, if we're saved by grace and we're not saved by works, obeying the law, well, then why was the law even given? Right? I mean, that would be the next logical question. If... if we can't earn God's favor by obeying the law, then why were we even given the law in the first place? Well, we were given the law in the first place because the law shows us our need for a savior. See, God gave us a law to show us that we couldn't keep it. There's no way for us to earn God's love or acceptance through keeping the law because we cannot keep the law. Try, I dare you. You can't, I guarantee it. It's impossible. And so Galatians 3, as we talked about on Sunday, Paul says that the law was given as our schoolmaster. It was given to lead us, to show us, to teach us that we really need a Savior. It's not a voiding of the law. It doesn't make the law void. It's a fulfillment of the law. That's what the law was given for. So after Paul really breaks down this wonderful reality of justification by faith, that is how we are saved. We're justified by faith. We're saved by simply believing. And after he breaks this down theologically in, in chapter three, now Paul is really going to drive home the same truth that justification is by faith and faith alone uh, arguing from history. Now he's going to look at some of the heroes of the faith, mainly Abraham and David, and show that, man, justification is a gift that can't be earned, looking at their stories. Abraham, he was justified before any religious acts, before he ever obeyed the law. The law wasn't even given, and Abraham was justified by faith. He was uh, justified because of his faith in God and not in his works. And so we're going to see that Paul really now will argue justification by faith, Not really theologically, but historically, he's going to to show us. Uh, Because remember, in in chapter 3, Paul said that this righteousness is apart from the law. It's separate from the law. But this righteousness apart from the law was witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness that is apart from obeying the law was witnessed or spoken of by the Old Testament. Is what Paul is saying. And, uh, you know, we see that throughout all of the Old Testament stories. We talked about it last Wednesday night. We're not going to get into it again this morning. But what Paul was saying is like, this, this is not my idea. I didn't invent justification by faith. This is not a New Testament thing that I came up with because I was just feeling warm and fuzzy inside and I wanted people to feel good about themselves. And I didn't want them to beat themselves up over not, you know, keeping the law. And so I made up this thing of justification by faith. No, Paul says it's been around. Uh, The law and the prophets speak of it, witness to it. And even before the law and the prophets, Abraham was way before those things. And now he's going to show us in Abraham's life how these things are a reality. So verse 1 of chapter 4 is where we will start this evening. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. So Abraham, uh, Paul kind of uh, establishes right out the gate. Abraham was, he's the father of faith. He is this hero in Israel. They looked up to him uh, just nationally. You, you think that we love George Washington? You think that we love Abraham Lincoln? Or, or you fill in the blank, any historic national hero that we might have. Man, they loved Father Abraham. Uh, you know, they even wrote a song about it. We sing it today And Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Let's get up, no, I'm just kidding. We won't actually go through the motions. Uh, and they didn't write that song, we did. But they loved Abraham. Uh, Abraham was the the patriarch. And so Paul says, all right, you guys, the Jews, you're descendants of Abraham. Let's take a look at his life and see if there isn't something that we can learn from it. Let's look at his life and and, and see what's going on there. Uh, What did Abraham find? Were there rewards for works? Was it earned? Or was justification uh, uh, a gift? Was it by faith alone? Because if he was justified by works, he could say, boy, then I did it, right? Again, Paul touches on that idea of, and he can't boast. He had nothing to brag about. If it was about his own goodness, he could brag about it. But it wasn't. It was through believing. And so he had nothing to boast about. And so Abraham's life, right? Paul says here that... For what does the scripture say that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness? Now, this is a reference to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And Genesis, the beginning there, uh, 12, I mean, moving forward, really tells the story of Abraham. And there in Abraham, or there in Genesis, pardon me, chapter 15, in verse 6, uh, it says. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This was like Abraham's moment. This is when Abraham was saved. He believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Paul uses uh, Abraham as this example of what it looks like to be saved by faith and by faith alone. Because here's the thing. Abraham wasn't saved, you know, uh, after he was Uh, circumcised. Abraham wasn't saved after he, uh, you know, offered Isaac up on the altar. Uh, There were many good things that Abraham did, but he wasn't justified by any of his works. He was justified when he believed and when he believed alone. So Abraham, he he wasn't justified by anything good. Uh, Remember, his origin story was when he was in the Ur of the Chaldees, he was just living his life, and the Lord came along and said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And in faith, Abraham went. He just trusted the Lord and went, but that didn't justify him. Uh, he built an altar to the Lord uh, on his way. That didn't justify him. Uh, he gave Lot the best land when there was contention between Lot's herdmen and his. That didn't justify him before the Lord. He rescued Lot and his, from his family after there was the, the war of the kings there in Genesis chapter 14. That did not justify him before the Lord. Uh, he split the animals in two to offer uh, this uh, cutting covenant with the Lord that we'll talk about in a minute. That didn't earn him justification. He was circumcised. Again, Isaac, offering Isaac. It was when he believed. So Abraham was not able to earn God's acceptance. He wasn't justified by works. But not only was he not justified by works, here's the interesting thing about Abraham's life, is that he was not disqualified from justification by his failures either. You see, Father Abraham, boy, he is the father of faith, isn't he? Boy, we have songs that we sing about him. Israel, they loved him. He was their patriarch. But... To be completely honest, right, Abraham had his hang-ups. Man, he had his fair share of faults. Uh, he had his fair share of times when he did not trust the Lord. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, you can turn there. I would encourage you to. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, again, it's origin. it's Abraham's origin story. And In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So, interesting thing there. So Abraham obeyed, but he took Lot with him. What did the Lord say right at the very beginning? He said, get out of your country and from your family. He didn't say, take your family with you. So he he takes Lot with him. What happens later on in the story? Well, again, we see that there's contention between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. That as they're getting settled, there's bickering. And so Abram has to go into this place where, you know, all right, you can pick out the best land, and and Lot picked his land. But there was contention because of that result. A lot would go on to have a disgusting, incestuous relationship with his daughters. The Moabites and the Anamanites would come out of that, that would harass Israel uh, time and time again. Uh, It it was actually not a, 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 a good thing that Abraham did there when he disobeyed the Lord by bringing Lot, and there was consequences to that. Uh, Then later on, as we continue looking at Abraham's story, after he rescues Lot from captivity, there's a war, all the kings get together there in chapter 14, and Lot is taken into captivity with his family. Uh, Abraham goes to, to rescue Lot, and then after all this is settled, they're in Chapter 15, we were just there looking at uh, Abraham's justification by faith. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus? Uh, Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not come uh, to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So Abraham, after he receives the promise, now he's not trusting the Lord. He's saying, Lord, how do I know? You gave me this promise back in, you know, uh, Genesis chapter 12. He didn't look at it that way. We see it more linearly. So he gave me this promise back in Genesis 12. Now it's Genesis 15. I've just gotten done with this war. Lord, how do I even know that you're going to follow through? Abraham, the father of faith, kind of had a faith that was wavering. But the Lord answers him and said, uh, then he, he took him outside. He took Abraham outside and said, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Very interesting. Uh, one story I forgot to mention was after Abram took Lot, he went where? How many of you guys know where he went? He went to Egypt. Remember? And what happened in Egypt? This is like the most dirtbag thing that Abram ever did. I think he went into to, to Egypt, and his wife was beautiful. She was sixty-five years old, and she was still apparently quite pretty for her age. And, you know, Abram was worried. He's like, man, the Egyptians are going to see how pretty you are, and they're going to kill me and take you. So lie to them and say that you're my sister. So that's exactly what she did. She lied and said, oh, I'm a sister. And she got taken uh, with Pharaoh to to, to go and be in his place. And Pharaoh paid Abram off with all sorts of livestock and riches and everything. So there's Abram counting up his livestock and his wealth, while his wife is kind of being looked over by Pharaoh to, I mean, be... You guys know the story and how it goes. The Lord protected Sarah from that. But that's a pretty terrible thing to do. And yet still, he believed. And what? It was counted to him as faith. See, So before he believed, he blew it. And it was still his belief that saved him. But after he believed, he still blew it. Uh, after he believed, we got the little situation where Time is still going on, and there's still no promised child given. And so what does Abraham do? He listens to his wife, say, "Well, you know, I haven't gotten pregnant yet. Maybe you should sleep with my servant." And that's where the promised son was going to "No, nope, that was a terrible situation. Shouldn't have done that." Abram should not have done that. See, it wasn't about his ability to hold up his end of the bargain. See, and God makes that perfectly clear to us in Abraham's story after he says to him that he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteous. Then the Lord said, said to him, uh, I'm the one who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? It's still showing these uh, signs of unbelief. And he said unto him, God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. So you guys know the story, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, Abraham cuts these animals in half, He's waiting for the Lord to show up. The vultures are coming down. He's doing everything he can to shoo the birds away. He ends up falling asleep. And in this vision, the Lord tells him how Israel's is going to go into captivity, into uh, Egypt, how they're going to leave out with much wealth. And then at the end of that vision, there's this burning lamp, this burning oven that goes all the way through the pieces of cut meat. And this whole thing, you guys know, it's called cutting covenant. And that's what you would do. They didn't have uh, mortgages that they signed or, you know, rental agreements or any sort of, that was their contract. They would take an animal, they'd chop it down from stem to stern, flip it open, and then they would meet in the middle and shake hands. It's cutting covenant. And it would be to say, if I go back on my part of the deal, let it be done to me as been done to this animal. But the beautiful part about this is that Abraham had zero part to play in it. It wasn't dependent upon him whatsoever. That is not by coincidence. That is by design. That is God showing us through Abraham's life that he could not earn any sort of favor or justification. There was no end of the bargain that Abraham could keep up. There is no end of the bargain that you can keep up. There's no end of the bargain that I can keep up. It was 100% on the Lord. He has done all the work and all that is left for us to do is believe. And we are justified when we believe just like Abraham Was And that's why Paul uses Abraham as this example. He says, Abraham was justified by faith. Look at his life. Well, he did some good things that didn't justify him. He did some terrible things that didn't disqualify him. Look at the deal that the Lord made with him. It had nothing to do with Abraham keeping up with his end of the bargain. It was all about the Lord and his end of the bargain. The Lord doing his thing. And so uh, the same is true for us. We are justified not by our works, not by the things we do, not by how many hours we spend on our knees or how much of the Bible we know. Those are good things. We ought to pray. We ought to know the Bible. But those things don't earn us favor with God. We are justified by faith. When we believe, it's accounted to us for righteousness. When we believe what? When we believe in the promise that's been given to us. When we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that he rose three days later. That is what makes us righteous. That's what declares us righteous. So, Abraham here. Boy, what a beautiful picture Paul gives us of what it looks like to be saved by believing, by faith, and not by works. Ah. then he gets into the next kind of example. He gets into the example of David, verse five. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute Sin. So, the next example that, uh, that, that uh, Paul gives is David. Now, David David is a, a wonderful example because David was known as a man after God's own heart. David was a, a man who loved the Lord, but David was a man who, who blew it, big time. As an older king, man, he was hanging out on the balcony, sipping some lemonade, enjoying some R&R, and he should have been at battle with his men. He should have been at war, but instead, he hung back. He, he chilled out. He rested. And as he sat there on the, the palace roof, on the balcony, boy, he spied a beautiful, naked young lady. And he inquired of her. Who's that? Oh, it's Bathsheba. He knew that she was married He knew who she was married to, and he called for her anyways, and he had an affair with her, and he impregnated her. And then to cover up his tracks, he did all sorts of trickery and foolery. Boy, I'll invite Uriah home, and then it'll look like, you know, he got together with his wife, and then, whew, I'll be be off the hook because it'll be Uriah's kid and not mine. All the lies and the deception, but none of it worked because Uriah was actually a man of great honor, and he wouldn't go home and even visit his wife. So I'm not going home to enjoy the comforts when my fellow soldiers are out fighting. And so David had Uriah murdered. Man, does that sound like a man after God's own heart. Jeez. And David there thought he got away with it, but then a year later, what happened? Gets a knock on the door. Hey, it's Nathan. How you been, David? I got a little story for you. He tells a story about the rich man who had many sheep and the poor man who had only one little lamb. And the rich man had a guest come through town, but instead of slaughtering one of his sheep for the guest, he stole the poor man's only beloved little sheep and barbecued it for his guests. And David was just great. Man, that, that man needs to be put to death. And Nathan said, you're that man. And in that moment, David was broken. Could you imagine carrying that guilt around for an entire year? Having all of those things weighing heavy on your conscience? But there in Psalm 32, that's the record that we have here. Where David records this is his confession psalm. He's blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And, and, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David understood. See, when you read through the story in 2 Samuel, when Nathan called David out, it, it, it says that as David was broken, Samuel declared that your sins are forgiven of you. I mean, your sins, as David was broken over his sins, his sins were He didn't do anything to make amends. There was no work that he did. There was nothing. He was simply broken over his sin. And because he was broken, the Lord forgave him. And there's a couple things that Paul points out uh, looking at David's story. And first of all, uh, that is that God imputes a righteousness apart from works. Impute, so that's another one of those words. We looked at redemption on Sunday. We looked, we looked at justification. We looked at propitiation. And now uh, we look today at uh, impute. Impute is another one of those super important theological words that we need to be just familiar with. Because impute is, again, it's an accounting term. And it means to calculate, to count, to make account to charge it to an account it's when you balance the books you impute this to there and that's there and so God imputes a righteousness apart from so David had a righteousness given charged to his account that he didn't deserve what a crazy thing to think about when you consider David's actions that there was a righteousness given to him that he did not earn not only that but that God did not impute his sin against him. God did not count his sin against him. So David had a righteousness given to him, charged to his account. David did nothing to atone for his own sin except for believe he was forgiven. And Jesus' righteousness was imparted to him. So wait a second, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. How did that happen? Well, they looked forward in faith. To the same thing, we look back in faith. We look back to the cross. They look forward to the cross. And then his sin didn't count against him anymore. Uh, And and that's a beautiful thing. That's a reality for us as well. We talked about on Sunday how God isn't mad at us. He's not upset with us. He's not down on us. Why? Because all of the things that he could be mad at us about, all of the things he could be down on us for, all of the things that he could be disappointed in us about, all of those things have been, paid for, in full. All of those things have been charged to Jesus's account and taken off of my account. That's what impute means. It's just as if we have never sinned. We have a perfect record. If you are a believer, if you have believed, you are justified by faith. And when God looks upon your life, hear me when I say this. When God looks at your life, he sees your life through the lens of the blood of Jesus. Your sin has been dealt with once and for all. And we'll talk more about that here in just a minute because Paul brings it up again. But David says, man, blessed is the man, happy is the man, overjoyed who realizes that our relationship with God is not Uh, based on my performance or my ability to keep, I don't know about you guys, but I get pumped when I hear that. That encourages me so much that my relationship with God is not based on my ability to be a good boy or a good girl. The blessings that come, I'm not a girl, to be a good boy for you who are women, good girl, we're not getting crazy like, it's not that kind of church. But we can get to this place to where you think, man, my relationship with the Lord or, or, or the blessings that are in my life are there or not there because I've been good or I've been bad. And, and it happens so subtly. I, I got to be honest with you. So, you know, I love to hunt, but I'm a terrible hunter. And I'm a terrible hunter because I just don't put that much time into hunting. The pre- I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a lazy hunter. I'm like, let's hop in the truck. We'll go just luck out and find a deer. But when we're hunting, boy, there's this part of me where it's like, I know it's God's providence if I get a deer or not, right? And so Sky's hunting this year. I want to get him a buck. But, you know, we're just driving around hoping that we see a deer. And there's this weird thing that happens. You're like, Lord, would you please bless me? And you begin to think about, "But well, I've been good or have I not been good? Or this is why I shouldn't get a buck or this is why I should get a buck. It is the goofiest thing. It's not based on that. Right? And you can replace the reward of a buck with anything that you would desire in your life. But we play these games. And it's not about whether we've been good enough or not. It's about God's goodness, and that is the point that Paul is making through David's life. And David said, man, blessed is the man who realizes that it's not based on our own works, our relationship with God. And when we realize that, when that sinks into my mind, that it's not about being a good person necessarily, that, that I don't earn God's favor, it makes me want to serve God more. It makes me want to walk in obedience. It's, it's motivated by love, not by obligation. And it's a joy And not a burden. man. nothing will make your Christian walk a burden like trying to earn God's love constantly. Man, we're free from that. What a wonderful thing that Paul shows us through David's life. Now he gets into this uh, next section, uh, verse 9. He says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness... How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He answers his own questions. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I tell you what, while Paul gets on the the circumcised topic, he says circumcised over and over and over again. But this is the point that he's making, right? So he's talking about the, the patriarchs. He's talking about the Jewish, you know, national heroes. He's using them as examples of justification through faith. And he says, well, is this whole idea of justification of faith just for the circumcised? Is it just for the Jew? And Paul says, no, it's for the the Jew and the Gentile. It's for the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Those terms are interchangeable. Circumcised for Jew, uncircumcised for Gentile. So Paul says, no, no, it's for both. It's for all. It's for anybody who would believe. And then he goes back to Abraham and said, when Abraham was justified, was he circumcised or uncircumcised? And he answers his own question. He says, no, he was uncircumcised. When that statement was made to uh, to, uh, Abraham that he believed... And that it was accounted to him as righteousness. He wasn't circumcised for like another 14 years. It had nothing to do with uh, the fact that he was circumcised or not circumcised. Uh, but circumcision, as Paul talks about, it was a symbol. It was a sign. It was an outward sign of an inward change. That was the whole idea. That Abraham wasn't righteous because he was circumcised, he was circumcised because he was righteous. It wasn't to confer, but to confirm. It did not add to Abraham's salvation, it merely attested to it. It was a sign, it was a a symbol. And again, from our perspective, we say, well, well, baptism fits that. And there's this correlation between baptism and circumcision, because it's of the heart. When you read through Colossians 2, like 11 through 13, it talks about this connection between those two things because it really is about the inward change. And we would be tempted to say, well, you know, I've been baptized or I've been confirmed if you have a Catholic background or, you know, I I take all these things. We say, well, but those things are worthless. They mean nothing. They cannot save you unless, again, it's uh, an expression of an inward heart change. It makes no difference unless it's a reflection of a surrendered heart, and so because of that, right, is is this whole idea of you know justification by faith that we see in Abraham? Is it just circumcised or the uncircumcised? No, it, it's for all, and Abraham is the father of all who believe. So it was a we can say, Father Abraham. Well, that's a big deal. As Paul's breaking this down, you have to understand that back in the day, you could become. Uh, a, a Jewish proselyte. You could be a Gentile who believed, became circumcised, went through all of the rites and rituals, and you would be a Jew. But you could never say that Abraham was your father. You would always have to say Abraham is your father. But Abraham is our father. See, it, w- that's what, I mean, we'll get into it as we make our way through the scriptures. But, but Paul talks about it later, how we have been adopted into that family. How How Abraham is our spiritual father as well. So it's Outside of circumcision altogether. But then he goes into this reality that it's also outside of the law. There in verse 13 For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So Paul just continues his point. It's outside of religious rites and rituals. Now, he already made all these points theologically. We saw that in chapter 3 on Sunday. Now, he's making these points historically as he looks to the history of Israel tonight in in chapter 4. And he's saying that that no one was justified uh, by the law. Uh, Now, here's the thing about Abraham. He was justified when he believed. Now, Abraham was around Hundreds and hundreds of years before the law was ever even given. So how could Abraham ever be justified by the law? Where there's no law, there's no transgression. See, And that's what Paul is saying. Again, nobody can keep the law. Nobody's justified to keep the law. Nobody's good enough. The law was given. Why? Why was the law given to us? we got to start all the way back from the beginning, I guess. (laughs) To show us we needed a Savior. That's right. And that is what Paul is, is really getting at here. And then we'll close out with these last few verses, starting in verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he came, became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he had promised uh, he had, uh, was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. So Abraham, now he's, he's praised for his faith, which is interesting to me, that he had hope contrary to hope. And I do love this about Abraham that he was 100 years old, but he didn't really consider that. He didn't consider his body dead. If I was 100 years old, I'd be like, all right, it's getting close, folks. I can't believe I'm still here, but, you know, I'm pretty much as good as gone. Abraham didn't take that approach whatsoever. Although his wife's womb would be considered dead, she was 90 years old. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm not a woman, but getting pregnant at 90 seems like it would be a really uncomfortable and bad thing. I'm just saying. But Paul didn't consider those things. That's so why he's the father of faith. See, he, he, he had God's promise in one hand, and then he had some really convincing circumstances and evidence in his other hand, right? When God came to him when he was 99 years old and reaffirmed that promise again and said, hey, Sarah's going to have a baby after the whole Ishmael disaster. You remember what Abraham did? He laughed. He's, he laughed. Like, are you kidding me? I'm 100 years old. My wife is 90. This I'm really? He laughed. And yet here, it says that he had faith. I don't know. There seems to be, is there a disconnect there? Again, he's noted to have this faith. Now, he believed, he's credited for believing. Circumstances on one side, God's promises on the other, He went with God's promise. But when we think back to Abraham God oh, think solid unwavering. It even says his faith was unwavering, but we know that his faith was not unwavering, that he laughed when God heard that promise. So how does that work? Because he was justified when he believed. It's an interesting thing when we're justified by faith that God no longer keeps an account of our sin. Our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. It's been cast into the depths of the sea. It's been wrapped up into a bag. It's remembered no more God doesn't remember your sin. You've been justified by faith. Again, when he looks at you, he sees your life through the finished work of the cross. So when God records Abraham here as having unwavering faith, boy, he sees the good and that's it. He sees Abraham as that finished work. Two encouragements for us there. And don't get sucked into the circumstances, hold on to the promise, and remember how the Lord sees you. What a wonderful thing that is. Abraham hoped against hope. Uh, We can do the exact same thing. And remember that, man, the Lord, uh, he sees us through the finished work of the cross. It was counted to him as righteousness. In the last two verses, it says, Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So this whole situation with with Abraham, it wasn't written for just his sake alone. Isn't that interesting it was written for us? That Paul made reference to the story thousands of years ago to the people who are reading it. And now here we are thousands of years later making reference to the same story and being encouraged by the same truth that happened in Abraham's life. I love that. I love that because I love learning these lessons from these biblical characters. I can't wait to see Abraham in heaven someday. I've got some questions for him. It'll be cool to hang out. But also, it's a reminder to me, and it's a reminder to you, that oftentimes, we go through all sorts of different things. Trials and ups and downs, and we always make our life about us, don't we? We always make life, why are you allowing me to go through this? Why am I going through this to Well, maybe it's not about us. Maybe the things that we go through are to be an encouragement to other people later. And what an encouragement that is to us when we're going through trials to keep that in view. Very important. But good stuff. Boy, justification by faith. Man, hold on to that. I know it's a lot of words tonight, again, and it's deep theologically. But the gist of it and the takeaway is that there's nothing you can do to add to or take away from the work of the cross. You didn't earn it. You can't. It's simply by grace. It's a free gift. And all that's required of us is to believe. And when we do, our sin is deleted from the record. It's not deleted. It's charged to Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness is charged to our account. So that when God sees us, he sees us justified just as though we have never sinned. His righteousness has been imputed to us. Walk in the freedom that that brings. What a joy it is, as David said, blessed is the man who understands those things. I pray that we would be blessed. I pray that we would be happy. I pray that we would be encouraged. And that as we remember that we don't have to earn God's love, that it would cause us to to want to serve him and obey him all the more. Because his kindness leads us to repentance. So Lord, again, thank you for this truth. Lord, that it seems so basic. And it really is. But we're good at overcomplicating the simple, Lord. And I pray that we would leave this place with simple faith, like a child, even as you taught, that we would just grab onto that, that we would just simply believe and that we would walk in all that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that we haven't been charged to earn your favor, that we haven't been charged to earn your love or salvation, but that we are saved when we simply believe. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust. Thank you again for the cross. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. Continue, Lord, that process of sanctification as we go our way. Keep us safe, shepherd us, and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiuchristianfellowship.com.